be a man after God's own heart. On Father's Day, I know that the men want to serve God's purpose in their family. And what does that mean? What does it mean to be a man after God's own heart? Uh, so you can turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16. Uh, when it comes to measuring how manly a man is, there are many ways that our world tests our manhood, evaluates our masculinity, judges us on just how much of a man we actually are. And uh, when it comes to physical strength, probably the pinnacle of all uh, muscle contests would be the World Strongman Contest. And check out a picture here. The World Strongman Contest is going on right now. Apparently, none of you entered. <laughs> if I didn't have to preach, I would have entered. Not, because I would have gotten crushed. There are men there who are twice as big as an average ordinary man. We've got another picture here. This, this here is a picture of last year's winner. His name is Haftor Bjornsson. Haftor, which sounds like half four, doesn't it? Haftor Bjornsson. Uh, he's also known in pop culture as The Mountain. And he's standing there next to Arnold Schwarzenegger, making Arnold look like not Arnold. <laughs> Look at that guy. I mean, the muscles on him. And, and here's another picture from the Strongman Contest. It, it ends with the Atlas Stone Carry. Uh, and, uh, man, I could try a lifetime to pick up that thing, even an inch, and it just wouldn't go so well. Uh, this is how the world measures the strength of a man. And this is how the world is trying to define who is the manliest man. And that raises a lot of questions, right? What makes a man strong, influential, what makes his life matter? What sets him apart from the millions of men who will live for themselves, answer to no one, fill their time with leisure and greed and lust and anger and pride, and in the end return to dust, leaving nothing truly memorable to the world? What makes a man special and strong? How can we be men who stand firm while the world gives way? How can we be men who lead our families well, who bravely swing the sword of the Spirit, while being careful to do everything in love. The truth is, it begins in the heart. It begins in the heart. When it comes to David, David is our example today. David is called a man after God's own heart. And we're going to see from the very beginning of how David became a somebody, how we can be somebody to God, how we can be somebody strong, how we can be a man who is special, and how we can serve God's purposes in this world. Let's pray, and then we'll get into the Word together. Father, thank you that you have your eye on men. Thank you that you give us examples in the Old Testament, not of perfect men, but of godly men, of men who were able to follow your heart, of men who were able to know your will, of men who were able to change the world. And we pray that you would give us a biblical description of masculinity here so that we might follow in the footsteps of these men of God who have done great things because you were with them. And we pray that you would show us this through David's life. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here we are in 1 Samuel 16. You, you just transported back to the year 1000 BC. Whoosh, and the room didn't even move. So there you are. We're 1000 BC. Think of all the history that is yet to come. In salvation history, right? I mean, Adam and Eve happened, Cain and Abel, Noah, the flood, right? Abraham left, and, and, uh, and, and then Moses led the people out of Egypt. A lot has happened, and so Israel has been founded and one king has been installed, and that king's name is Saul, and David would become the second king of Israel. 
So let's meet the cast in this story. You can jot this down. The cast would be Samuel, who's the prophet, Saul is the king, and David is the nobody. You can write that down. There's a note sheet in your bulletin. It's always better to take notes. You can follow along. Uh, but Samuel is the prophet, Saul is the king, David is the nobody. And um, when it comes to Samuel, you maybe don't know his story, but his mom, do you know Samuel's mom's name? What was her name? Hannah, and Hannah had no kids, and she wept bitterly before the Lord and said, Lord, if you just give me a son, I'll give him back to you and devote him to the work of the Lord. So the Lord gave for Samuel, and then eventually other kids as well. So Samuel was lent to the Lord. You remember this story? Mom gave her little boy up to the temple work, uh, to, the t to the tabernacle work, and she'd show up each year with a little tunic she made for him. So she gave Samuel to God, and Samuel was a man of God who was a, kind of a priest and a prophet put together. So that's Samuel. Samuel anointed the first king, Saul, a very powerful man. First and second Samuel are written in Samuel's honor. And uh, when it comes to Saul, we know that Saul was tall, handsome. He was strong, mighty in battle, but he was also full of vanity and compromise. And so he had big problems as the first king of Israel. So that's the setting. Let's read 1 Samuel 16. I'll read it. Here's what it says. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, uh, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. So filling the horn with oil and going means that's the way they anointed a king. If the prophet sent by God shows up and pours the oil on your head, you become king. That's how they did it. So uh, it says here, Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he'll kill me. So Samuel's in big trouble because there already is a king and he's going to anoint another king when there is a king. And the king on the throne is pretty evil. Uh, and the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to him trembling. Okay, Samuel was a mighty man of God, and they knew his power. Trembling, and said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So the cast again is Samuel the prophet, Saul the king. And Saul was having a rough go of it. We'll put 1 Samuel 13, 14 on the screen Here's what it says. But now your kingdom shall not continue, God said to Saul. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. So David was now a man after God's own heart, but Samuel had never met him, and Saul was rejected by God because Saul had rejected God's word. It's important to know that that's, that was synonymous. Rejecting God's command, which is what Saul did, uh, is rejecting God's heart. Saul was rejected as king because he rejected the commandment of God. And now we see Samuel who's following the voice of God. We should see that distinction. David had no idea, but God was at uh, work planning out his life for him. So here they are. They arrive in Bethlehem. Who else was born in Bethlehem? So this city is now getting on the map, right? Here they are in Bethlehem. What, what history this this city has. And it says here in verse 6, when they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. So Eliab must have been big, strong, tough, a strong man, right? And Samuel was like, behold, 
the second king of Israel. This guy's got it all. And Samuel's getting his oil ready to go and, and to go anoint this guy, the firstborn of Jesse. And it says in verse 7, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So the first thing you can write down is this. Know what doesn't impress God. Do you know what doesn't impress God? Do you know what God isn't looking for in a man? Do you know what is worthless on God's report card? Do you know what doesn't impress him? Uh, back in the 90s and 2000s, one of the most popular recording artists of my day was Shania Twain. Right? And Shania Twain was always singing about the man she wanted to be with, the man she wanted to marry. And she had a song. Do you remember the song? That Don't Impress Me Much. How many of you remember that song? Don't leave me hanging up here, right? You could probably sing it right now if you wanted to. She's singing about men, and she's singing about, that don't impress me much, right? Like, you think that's going to impress me? That don't impress me much. Long before Shania ever sang about it, you've got God revealing here in the Bible what he doesn't look for in a man. That doesn't impress me much. And Eliab, Eliab. You know, and it says that Samuel had all of Jesse's sons pass before him. So I see this as kind of like a contest. Like, are you going to become king? Wow, the stakes couldn't be higher. And Eliab walks by, and Samuel's like, nah-uh. And God's like, nah-uh. No. No. Eliab was impressive, but God rejected him. When I was in high school, I went to Stag High School, and they had a contest called Mr. Charger the Mr. Charger contest. They tried to pick, you know, and they had like all these, these like you walked the stage and you showed off your muscles and I didn't enter because I knew it would be unfair to the other contestants. <laughs> okay, and, and here's why. Because I was an alto saxophone player and once I stood up there during the talent portion and played my alto saxophone, the contest would have been over. So I knew that it would have been an unfair fight and I just let the other guy win, right? But the Mr. Charger contest, uh, you know, who's going to be the Mr. Mascot of the school? Wow, it's kind of like that feel here. Like, Samuel's in town. He's got the oil with him. One of my sons is going to become king. Wow, what a day. And Eliab walks by, and Samuel's like, nope. We have to know what doesn't impress God. In Jeremiah 9, 23 to 24, it says this. Thus says the Lord... Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. We have to see here at the beginning that the man who wants to be known for something, the man who wants to be known, who lives to be known, God rejects. But the man who lives to make God known, the man who lives to know God, it says here, let him boast in this that he understands and knows me. The man who lives to know God, not to be known, but to know God and to make God known, that man will be used greatly of the Lord. That man will be used greatly of the Lord. God isn't impressed by what? You can jot these down. God isn't impressed by wealth. By wealth, your portfolio doesn't impress him. Okay? He, he's got gravel worth more in heaven than your entire 
household. Add everything you up and, and, and show God your net worth and his eyebrows don't go up. Okay, that, that don't impress him much. Doesn't matter what you drive. Although I will say this. I shared with you last week that because my daughter got into a fender bender and we got a rental car and it's taken them a month to fix the car, uh, I still, I still am driving. I've got a picture of it. I still am driving this brand new, <laughs> brand new Dodge Charger. Uh, that, that's... And, I, and, and they're trying to find a part, and I hope they never find it because the insurance company is paying for this. Listen, this thing had six miles when we got it last Friday. It now has 600 miles on it. We drove to Michigan. I'm taking it everywhere. So I will say that when you're driving a nice car, like, you get attention. The neighbors are like, oh, you get a new car. And, and I mean, it feels pretty good. It, it makes you feel more special than you felt before the car came into your life. And the possessions do that, the money does that, the job, the promotion does that. But listen, God isn't impressed. God isn't impressed. And, and if you think because your possessions or your money are more, therefore you are more, you're not doing the math biblically. God isn't impressed by wealth. Jot this down. God isn't impressed by brains. Let the wise man not boast of his wisdom. Brains. Your GPA doesn't impress God. Your ability to win Jeopardy, how many, how many weeks in a row did that current guy win? Like a thousand? Your ability to win Jeopardy, okay, okay, Jesus would win Jeopardy every week. He would never lose, okay? He's omniscient. So your little file of knowledge is nothing to God. Here's a picture of a real smart guy, right, Albert Einstein. And his brain has made him famous. You want to know what's funny about Einstein is I read a biography on him, and he said the one thing that was so pesky that he couldn't figure out, the thing that drove him crazy because he couldn't quite figure out its properties was, do you know what it was? Do you know what it was? What could baffle one of the greatest minds ever? Light. Light. So let me get this straight. The first thing God said was let there be. So the first thing God made you still can't figure out. <laughs> God's not impressed. God's not impressed. God's not impressed by your looks. Jot that down. Your looks. This world is all about appearance. GQ released earlier this year some of the best-dressed men at the Screen Actors Guild Awards. Here's a picture of some of the best-dressed men. The best dress. You know some of them, right? And if you dress like that, you could be listed in the GQ magazine. And uh, some of that fashion I just don't get. I'm just going to say it. I don't, I don't get it. But, man, look at you. You got into GQ magazine. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. I wore this. I wore that. God's not impressed. God's not impressed. God's not impressed by your muscles. Jot that down. Your wealth, your brains, your looks, your muscles. This could also be like your strength, your athleticism. Um, and let's face it, in the world today, uh, the, the number one thing that the world seems to want in a woman is sex appeal, right? And if you've got that, then you, whatever else you have is great. But if you've got that, you're going to go places, and that's what's lauded, that's what's praised, that's what, and, and women are evaluating themselves based on how the opposite sex responds to their appearance. For men, it seems to be athleticism. If you're athletic, millions of dollars are coming your way. It's good if you're smart and athletic, but if you're athletic, it's good if you can act and if you're athletic. Boy, if you're athletic, you are going to go places. It seems to be one of the highest tests of masculinity. Here's a picture from the NBA Finals, right? You know, uh, 
a little grainy picture, but uh, it, what's unfortunate is Canada already had the best hockey players, and now they won at basketball, too, Toronto. Like, that's disappointing, isn't it? But if you are athletic, the world is impressed, and God is not. God is not. Titles. God's not impressed by your titles. I'm, I'm the chairman of the, I'm, I'm the president of the, I'm the CFO, I'm on the board of the, I have an MB, I have a PHF, God doesn't care. God doesn't care about your alphabet. Okay, God doesn't care. He's not impressed. He, he's not impressed. God's not impressed by your religion. Your religious activity, your spiritual effort to impress him doesn't work. Religion, here's a picture of people who are devout, who are praying, who are doing religious ceremonies, and none of that, none of that, none of that impresses God. God isn't impressed by your wealth, your brains, your looks, your muscles, your titles, your religion. What is he looking for? Well, it says here right in the Bible. It says here right in the Bible. The Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The Lord looks on the heart. It goes on to say in verse 8, then Jesse called Abinadab. <clears throat> if you're having a baby boy, consider that name, Abinadab. And made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not. So the last son walks across the stage, you know, and uh, God's like, nope. And now Samuel really doesn't know what's going on because Jesse's out of sons. Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord hasn't chosen these. Are all your sons here? He said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. So David didn't even get invited to the macho party. Right. He, he doesn't even get to come to dinner with Samuel. Hey, Samuel's here. One of you might become king. Oh, boy, David, get out with the sheep. Oh, bad. Man, how are you guys doing today? I didn't even get invited to the macho party. All my brothers are there. One of them might become king, but I'm just with you guys. Man, he's keeping the sheep. Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. We learn here that your heart is in full view of God. I don't know if you have seven older brothers. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if then they watch you become king? What? Seven older brothers. No, no, no. No, 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 no. Yes, God sees you in a crowd. God sees your heart among other hearts. It says in 2 Chronicles 16, 9, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. Listen, men, God sees your heart. God sees right through you. He's not impressed by anything that you think is impressive. He's looking into your heart. That's all that matters. And seven 
Think of what the seven guys had. Talents, abilities, skills. No. And, and sheep boy, God sees him and says, king, king. Jot this down, number two. Be a man who follows God's heart. Be a man who follows God's heart. I want to marvel at the obscurity of David. He was a nobody. This is 1,000 B.C. How many other people do you know from the year 1,000 B.C.? You want to name them off? And he was a nobody. And, and God saw his heart and said, King... And David is now one of the most recognizable figures in all of human history. Look, if a famous person hired a publicist and the publicist said, 3,000 years from now, I guarantee you, people are going to still be talking about you worldwide. That celebrity would pay top dollar to that publicist for that legacy. Right, you think they're going to be talking about LeBron in 3,000 years? No. No. Our whole generation will go silent soon, and very few of us will be remembered. We're still talking about David. Sheep Boy is still a celebrity. Wow. Be a man who follows God's heart. I want you to know the gravity of what happened. This would be like David walking in and getting anointed by Samuel and becoming king. This would be the same as if the chief justice of the Supreme Court, we got a picture of him, uh, shows up with a little motorcade, drives up into your driveway, knocks on your door, walks in, and uh, holds out a Bible and, and says, all right, you're next, uh, and swears you in to the office of the President of the United States of America while President Trump is still in office. Do you think he would take that well? This is what happened to David. Not only is he famous beyond belief right now, but he was a dead man. Right? He was a dead man. And he's a teenager at this point. But God saw his heart. The brothers saw it. You think they're going to sit back and stand for this? Uh-oh, baby brother's going to rule the world. We're dead. And we've seen what happens when brothers rise up against brothers in the Bible. David's kind of a dead man. But Samuel anointed him. Listen, be a man who follows God's heart and God takes care of your destiny. Jot this down. According to what we see here in David and Samuel's life, a man of God is what? Instructed by God's word. You can write that down. A man of God is instructed by God's word. If you know God's word, you know God's heart. We see this in that Saul rejected God's word and therefore God said, I reject you as king. So rejecting God's word, what he's saying and commanding is rejecting God. So how are you doing at being instructed by God's word? Samuel followed God's voice, and therefore Samuel followed God's heart to the king. Following God's word is what led David to be king. A man of God followed God's voice to David and made him king. So following God's voice, following God's word, is following God's heart. The Bible is God's word, and it's like a compass. It points in the direction God desires. How many of you have seen Pirates of the Caribbean? Have you seen any of the movies, Pirates of the Caribbean? See, so Captain Jack Sparrow has a compass, and everyone thinks it's broken. But it's not broken. It points to what? It points to what? What, he, what does it point to? What he wants most. What he desires most. That's what the compass points to. So if he wants treasure, treasure. If he wants rum, rum, right? Uh, so they think it's broken, but it's not. It's pointing the holder to the thing he wants most. Now imagine if God gave you a compass, 
and said, hey, whatever this compass points to is what I want most. What God wants most, follow it. Well, that's what the Bible is. The Bible is God's compass pointing you to what he wants most. And if you follow his word, you're following his heart. And God's compass points us in many different directions. He, has, he gives us direction with our money, with our relationships, with our words, uh, in relational conflict. He gives us, in the Bible, a guide to lead our, our paths. And Samuel was following his word, and Saul wasn't. And David would follow, not only follow God's word, David would author God's word. He would give us most of the Psalms, the hymn book of the Old Testament. Um, so God's word is how we know God's heart. Psalm 119.11 says this. We'll put it up on the screen. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Hey, are you a man who follows God's word? Are you a man who is instructed by God's word? If so, then you're a man who's following God's heart. Jot this down. A man of God is empowered by God's Spirit. Empowered by God's Spirit. It says here in verse, uh, in verse 13, the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. The Spirit of God is the third person of the Trinity. The, the Spirit of, the, of God is divine. It's not a force. The Spirit, Holy Spirit is not a force. Uh, it, it's not an energy. It's a person. So we believe one God in three persons, Father, Son, Spirit, 100% God, all have the divine attributes only found in God, omniscience, omnipresence, omnipotence, right? The Spirit was active in creation. The Holy Spirit is active in salvation. And here, the Holy Spirit rushed upon David in power. Listen, you've got to understand, who is the strongest man in the Bible? Samson, because of God's Spirit. But listen, when you read the story of David, okay, David was a teenager talking about how he killed a bear, and killed a lion, tore them to shreds. Okay, do you know any teenager, doesn't matter how many days he spent in the weight room, right? You know any teenager capable of doing that? No. So David had Samson-like strength, right? When David went out to slay Goliath, he had Samson-like strength, and he knew it. In battle, he was unmatched, right? He was unmatched. So you have to understand, when God's Spirit came upon David, he gave him supernatural power at times, to be a mighty warrior. Um, wow. So David was empowered by God's spirit. What that means is there was nothing superhuman about the man. What, what made him superhuman is that God was with him. You see, please understand this. When, when God looked into David's heart, he could have pointed to so many talents. David was a musician. He was a warrior. He, he you know, he was loyal to his father. He was a good guy. He you know, God could have pointed to all of these talents and said, because I found these things in his heart, I picked him. But what does God say? God says, he's a man after my own heart. So when God looked into David's heart, he saw David looking into God's heart. That's the key. That's the key. And when God looks into your heart, does he see pride? Does he see lust? Does he see, what does he see? Does, does he see a man who's trying to be known and respected? Or does he see a man who's looking right back into the heart of God and wanting that God to be known? How did David slay Goliath on the battlefield? It's because he knew that Goliath had a giant problem called God. David had a bigger giant in his life than Goliath, and he knew that God was God. And he knew God was with him. Listen, you don't have to become somebody else to be used greatly by God. 
You just have to be a man after God's own heart. That's enough. David was empowered by God's spirit. Jot this down. He was also surrounded by God's people, other godly men. So you see here that David didn't just announce himself. I'm king. Hey, brothers, kneel. I'm better than all of you. A man of God showed up with, this, with, with the call of God. Samuel surrounded David with favor, and then God gave David mighty men, men whose hearts God had touched, counselors, rulers, prophets. Look, David wasn't a one-man show. And men, if you're isolated, if you're going it alone, you're an easy target. If you're not surrounded by other godly men who are speaking into your life, helping you discern what God has for you, if you're not surrendering the direction of your life to the counsel of other wise godly men and submitting it to the word of God, you're a sitting duck. Because godly men aren't lone rangers. They're surrounded by God's people. So are you a man who follows God's heart? Well, are you instructed by God's word? Are you empowered by God's spirit? Are you surrounded by God's people? Number one, know what doesn't impress God. It's not about wealth, brains, looks, muscles, titles, religion. Number two, be a man who follows God's heart, being instructed by his word, empowered by his spirit, surrounded by his people. And then for number three, we're going to look at the New Testament's report of David. Write this down. Be a man who serves God's king. Be a man who serves God's king. And this is coming from what the New Testament says about the man David. Somehow, we don't know how, but somehow God made it clear to David uh, that his life would bring into the world one who would be like him, but who would be a ruler forever. God told David some of this when he made a covenant with him and said, you'll have a descendant on the throne forever. A lot of it was hidden from him. But David knew enough to know that his life was serving a greater purpose and to know that his kingdom and his kingship was pointing to a greater kingdom and a greater kingship. David knew that his whole life was aimed at serving another king, God's king. In Matthew 22, 41 to 46, it says, Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How is it that David in the spirit calls him Lord? Saying, and then he quotes a psalm here, uh, The Lord said to my Lord. So David wrote this. The Lord, that's God, said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word. Nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. They knew the Messiah would be a descendant of David. They knew that he would be a great king. And Jesus said, how come, how come in the Psalms David called the Messiah Lord? How can he do that? Jesus was pointing to the reality that David knew Jesus would be a divine king, one who even David would submit to, greater than David. And the Pharisees hated that thought. Here's the point. David knew that there was a divine king coming, and David called that divine king my Lord, my Lord. He took his crown and put it under the crown of the coming Messiah. And that, that person was Jesus. When it comes to measuring who a man is, hey, are you a man who serves God's king? David realized that his whole life, the whole point of his life, was to point to another king who was coming. 
Do you realize that that's the point of your life? To point to another king. David could have been like, I'm the biggest. I'm the greatest. And he's like, there's a greater one coming. And guess what? My life is just pointing to his life. David knew that. Both David and Jesus were born in Bethlehem. David was a shepherd and Jesus called himself the good shepherd. Both were obscure figures chosen and anointed by God. Both were initially rejected and persecuted by Israel, then finally crowned and established by God Almighty. Listen, if this doesn't blow your mind, it's it said in the New Testament, uh, Luke, we'll put this on the screen, the last verse we have there, Luke 1, 32 to 33. The angel said this before Jesus was born. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. The throne that Jesus will sit on forever is called the throne of David. Is that amazing? And David didn't let that go to his head. David said, wow, this king who's coming is my Lord. How are you measuring your own masculinity? How are you measuring whether or not you're a man? Are you measuring it by, by saying, are you a man who serves God's king? One big way men measure themselves is, are they good at fishing? Are they good at fishing, right? I went fishing this week. Lauren and I went up to Michigan, and we fished for a little bit. I'm, I'm not great at fishing. My wife is, I'm going to say it, my wife is better than me at fishing. I know, I know. Here's a picture of my wife. She caught like 20 fish while we're up there. She's really excited, right? I had a little trouble. Here's this next picture is my first obstacle. My line got a little, <laughs> I, I don't know how I did that. That's worse than Christmas tree knots, but I figured that out. And then here's the next picture. I actually caught a fish, so I'm pretty proud of myself, right? Yeah, go me, yay. Uh, but if you measure yourself by things like, am I good at fishing? Do I have a muscle car? You know, have I risen through the ranks? Am I, you know, am I this? Am I that? You're missing it. You're missing it. You're missing it. Be a man who serves God's king. Be a man who serves God's king. That's what your life is about. That's what David's life was about. Jot this down. Lay down your crown. Lay down your crown. David was a great king because he knew the greatest king. Do you know the greatest king? Jesus, son of David, do you know the greatest king? Lay down your crown. In John 18, 37, it says this, Pilate said to him, to Jesus, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Jesus came into the world to be the greatest king who's ever lived. Jot this down. Humbly invite Christ to be your Savior and your Lord. If you want your life to count, if you want to matter, if you want to be strong, if you want to be special, humbly invite Christ to be your Savior and your Lord. Humbly invite Christ to be your Savior and your Lord. Listen, I'm not your publicist, and you wouldn't pay me to make you famous because I don't think I do a good job of that. But I can guarantee you this. In 5,000 years, the world won't be talking about you. But if you humbly trust Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, in 10,000 years, heaven will be talking about you because of what Jesus did in your heart. And whatever treasure on earth you're seeking, see it now. It's dust. It's dust. Walk away from it, and you will have treasure in heaven. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, what a great offer you make us. 
you took a boy watching sheep and made him famous for thousands of years. You could make us rulers. You could make us rich. You could, but this world has nothing for us. Nothing. The Bible says your love is better than life, Lord. And so I pray for any here today who don't know what it means to be a man. They don't know why they were born. They don't know how to make it count. I just pray that they would realize that they are here to serve God's king. David knew that. And David's greatness was based on the fact that he was a man after God's own heart. I pray that there would be men and women here today who surrender their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who will rule forever and ever and ever, the only one who is worthy of the praise of this world. I pray that there would be some today who confess, Father, I have sinned and fallen short as a man, as a woman. I have broken your law. I have grieved your heart. But forgive me. Forgive me and accept me. Receive me as your child. I pray that, Lord, as there are those who are trusting Jesus as Savior and Lord and asking for forgiveness, that they would serve God's King now and forever. Help them to see that that's what they were born for. The one who loved them and gave himself for them. That is what it means to be a man. We thank you, Lord Jesus. You defeated our greatest foes, death, sin, Satan, forever. And we stand victorious because of you. We give all glory to you and take none for ourselves. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.